0: You are listening to a sermon of Cornerstone UIC, a gospel-centered community on mission for our campus. We are now in our third week in the series that we are doing, which is on the book of Acts. Who wrote the book of Acts? What was the book that came before the book of Acts? Ah, nailed it! Let's go. All right. So the last two weeks, we said that the book of Acts is all about Jesus. And it's (laughs) gone! Balance chair on my chin, I'm so happy! Um, (laughs) Can you do it? Yeah, do it. I won't do it. Um, But the book of Acts is all about Jesus bringing his kingdom. And how does Jesus bring his kingdom in the book of Acts? In In the present, through the Holy Spirit, as he's reigning as king, Jesus is sending his Holy Spirit, empowering us. How else did Jesus bring his kingdom? Through his disciples. Through his disciples. And specifically it says that his disciples are empowered by his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. That were called to witness towards what he's done in the past at the cross by raising from the dead. And that in the present, the Holy Spirit working through us as we share about what happened in the past. The kingdom of God comes, and we anticipate the future work of what Jesus will do to bring the kingdom of God when he returns and fully brings the kingdom. And so the book of Acts is actually a great epic that that we actually walk right into. It's the epic of Jesus bringing the kingdom of God as he's reigning as king, sending his Holy Spirit empowering his witnesses to speak about what he's done in the past. And by doing so, the kingdom comes in the present, even as we await him to come back again and fully bring his kingdom. And that's what we walk into. That's the epic that we're surrounded in, in our lives. And last week, we looked at a wild story. And it's the story when the Holy Spirit does clothe the disciples from on high. And what happens is there's 120 men and women in a room in Jerusalem and as they're praying and waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit all of a sudden this great wind comes in and divided tongues as a fire rest over each of them and they're driven out from the room where they're staying they begin to speak in other languages. It's literally as if I were to come here and I were to speak right now in fluent Farsi. And someone here was Persian, and they heard me speaking in fluent Farsi, and they were like, he doesn't even have an American accent. As all of these different people were speaking about the goodness of God and the mighty works of God in all these different languages, as all of the people from the whole Roman Empire who were Jewish, who spoke different heart languages, heard in their own language these mighty works of God. And as that happens, of course, the thousands of people who were gathered together heard all of these Galileans speak flawlessly their language. And so they're like, what in the world happened? And of course, we know what they said. They said, wait a second, are these guys, you know, drunk? And then Peter, all of a sudden, stands up in front of literally just multitudes of thousands of people. who can hear him, and he says, no, 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 guys, we're not drunk. It's not even lunch yet. Right? What's happening here is that the Holy Spirit is coming upon you as has been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, as has been the longing and Jesus said would come. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and my female servants, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Holy Spirit has come, and now, now, all people can be saved. You guys remember that last week? Yes. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> when in doubt, just talk louder than you. what we see next is Peter being the first Christian witness as he's clothed the power from on high. As the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit comes down, Peter now bears witness to what he has seen and heard. As Jesus says in Acts 1-8, I will quote you with power from on high, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. We see the first Christian witness in the history of the church where Peter moves on to explain just how people can come into salvation by the witness of what Jesus has done in the past. I don't know about you, but I've never skydived before. Has anyone skydived? Okay, I would just imagine if I were to go skydiving, there would probably be some instructor that would be explaining to me before I got in that plane exactly how to wear my vestments and exactly how to open the parachute when I was in the air. I don't know about you, but if I were about to go skydiving, I would really listen to that instructor telling me how to open the parachute. Right. In the same way, we are brought into the middle of this epoch where we have a call to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And so as we come to this first Christian witness by Peter, we should be on our tiptoes seeing how did he do it. How did he witness to what Jesus did so that we ourselves can be witnesses because you have a call on earth. And your call is to be a witness to Jesus. Can we talk about that call today? Amen, because we're going to talk about it anyways. But your call is to be, I was asking someone earlier today, right? If I were to just ask you and say, Zach, what is your purpose here on earth? Right, I asked someone that today and they were like, oh shoot, why did my pastor just ask me that? (laughs) And they got all squirmy. And you could honestly answer like 10 different Bible things and you're, probably right he answered to glorify god and enjoy him forever and that's like that's amen that's true it's a westminster catechism beautiful well done well done for everyone who did that everyone give them a hug call them a bible nerd and they'll feel happy Um, even though it's not the bible Um, yes but what's your call here on earth in this moment jesus says be I want to look at the first Christian witness, and I want you to pay attention, because this is your call, literally your call. This is why you are here on earth right now, as you are part of Jesus bringing the kingdom of God through his sending the Spirit in you as you await the future return. What Peter does here that we see in this first Christian witness is he, one, goes to where people are at. Two, he proclaims a simple message. Three, he calls people to respond. And four, forms a community. Is that the way it's would show four? Feels uncomfortable. So I want to go through those four things. And by I'll go through those four things, I mean I'll really talk about number two for most of the time. But let me pray for us and then we'll start. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we just believe. We believe that you really have called us to be witnesses. We believe that we really are here on earth to bring your kingdom through your Holy Spirit. We believe we really are in this epoch. And Father, I pray that you would grant us belief where we don't have it. Oh Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, would you wake up our hearts to you this evening? Come Holy Spirit, come and empower us to be your witnesses. This is what you want to do so you want to empower us. You want to meet us tonight. You want our lives to be changed because of us gathering together as a church under the authority of your word. And so would you change our lives? Come Holy Spirit come. And We ask this in your name. Amen. So one how do we be witnesses as we go to where people are? mind blown. But we can't skip over this. Is What happens is Peter goes out of this room where the 120 are staying, led by the Spirit. He actually goes into the public square into this place where all of the Jewish people are gathered, and that's where he starts proclaiming what God has done. What you see in the rest of the book of Acts is all of the rest of this new Christian community, all these new Jesus followers, going to the ends of the earth, going to new places, new places. And as they go to new places, they don't go and huddle themselves up in a small room like we would even here. What they do is they, they go out to the middle of the quad, and they start talking there. They go to the marketplaces. They go to the synagogues where Jewish people worship, and they engage in relationships and conversations and presence in those public spaces. And so Peter, in this time when he's actually even encountering God by the Spirit, leading him out goes into where people are. Now you might say, okay, well, it wasn't Peter intentionally choosing to go in in this public place. It was that the Spirit of God drove him out to this public place to be a witness. Which is a really good point. Is that it's the Spirit of God who drives us into public places. That if we actually want to be obedient to the Spirit of God within us, we actually go to the public places. We go to where people are, especially people who do not yet know the witness that we bear witness to and who are not yet in the kingdom of God. And so if we say yes to the Holy Spirit, he will lead us to new places. What our job is is to put our yes on the table and the Holy Spirit puts it on the map. We put our yes on the table, God puts it on the map, right? We we see in the book of Acts all of this missionary zeal. Literally, Paul is what the rest of the book of Acts, Luke kind of like writes about a lot of people the first like half, and then he's like, let me just pick my favorite, I'm gonna talk about Paul for the second half. And Paul goes everywhere, he goes everywhere, because he's put his yes on the table, and God's putting him all over the map. And he's going to all these places, and he goes, he, he goes to the public places, he goes right into the marketplace, where everyone is. And that's what we're called to do. If we listen to the spirit of God, we don't seclude ourselves. But we actually go there. Okay, so here, here's, a, here's something. We here, as witnesses, already are in a public space. You know that UIC is Chicago's public research university? <laughs> right, who here goes to class? Every one of y'all's hands should be raised right now. Okay, Allie, that's, that's, nice. Yeah, that's nice. You don't go to class. Um, I bet this... Goes through a lot of classes. But that's a public space. That's a place where the Spirit of God leads you, and that's where you are a witness. Right? Who here eats? Who here eats most of the time, not in their dorm room or apartment? Not in the dining hall. Who here eats in the dining hall? Who here eats at restaurants? That's a public space! That's a place where you actually are present and other people are interacting with you. Right? That's a place that Peter would have been a witness to. That's a place where we are called to be witnesses to. Okay, who here has neighbors? Right. Okay, if you live in a dorm, you have neighbors. <laughs> Friends, here's the thing. Okay, I miss. I wish I could live in a dorm all of my life. I'm not just saying that. I really do. I lived in a dorm every year I was in college, and I would have continued to live in a dorm because it's the easiest place to meet your neighbors anywhere. I basically chose to live in a condo complex because it reminded me most of a dorm of any place I could go. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Why are you guys looking at me like that? The dorms are something. Amen. (laughs) You do. The dorms are even such good places to intentionally live into to be a witness. Because it's the place where we can meet those and continually be present in people's yeah. lives. And so here's the thing. Think about your life. Where do you work? Right? You guys are students. Where do you play? Right? Where do you eat? Where do you go and have fun? And where, where, do you, uh, where do you live? All of those places. What are the public spaces there? Because actually, very legitimately, your first call is just to be present there. Your first call is actually to be there because you can't be a witness if you're not present around those who don't know the Lord and who don't know this witness. And so the first call is to do that. Can I tell you guys a fun story? Yeah. There's so many fun stories of doing this in college. Like this is the easiest place to be a witness. This is why I never want to leave UIC or any college campus. But I love that, um, I love there's someone at Cornerstone Chicago. Her name is Jess Fletcher. She's amazing. Give me an awe if you like yes. that. There we go. Yes. There we go. She um, she's a nurse at Rush, right over there. And at Rush, she just had her heart. You know, she is in a public space where she works with all these other nurses, and she's got about like thirty nurses on her floor. Um, she's a cancer, whatever the word is for cancer nurse. Y'all smart. <laughs> and she just was like, "How can I really be a witness at my work?" And so she just decided, what if I started a Bible study just for people on my floor? And uh, she had uh, her first Bible study two days ago at her house. She just invited every nurse on her floor. And six of the women came. Um, Isn't that amazing? That's just intentionally being a witness. And that's what we're called to be, to be in that public space. The second thing is that when we're in that public space, we proclaim a simple message. If you look at what Peter proclaimed there, right? Chris did such a good job of reading that message. Peter proclaimed a pretty simple message. He said this. God always had a plan. You're guilty of the death of God's son. God raised him from the dead. And so he forgives you and gives you his spirit. It's actually pretty simple, but I'll even make it more simple because here's what he basically says over and over again. You killed Jesus... God raised him from the dead. Simple message. Very, very simple. You killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. Next time you go out sharing, we go out sharing, all that we have to do is sit down with somebody and like, you know, you killed Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> God raised him from the dead, though. Yeah, yeah. So repent, and we even be baptized. So I don't know if you guys read this story here, but, um, but I know you actually heard Chris say it, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you really heard what Chris was saying, because, he basically really gives that message. And typically, whenever I see people hearing that passage being read, they're just a little bit like lost because the sermon's pretty simple. It doesn't really strike us anywhere weird. And then all of a sudden it says, and 3,000 people were cut to the heart and decided to be baptized. And you're like, wait, what? Like, how did, how did, like, cut to the, they were cut to the heart by that. And then 3,000 people. We're baptized. Has anyone read this passage and had that experience? Okay, thank you. Thank you for just just sometimes raise your hand even if <laughs> that because I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but let me let me kind of explain. I think a little bit why why this passage. Like you guys know that feeling, really, of being cut to the heart. You know that feeling when your gut actually is jolted, when it feels like you can't. Uh, like what did I do? How did I do that? When you just feel with so much regret. That's this kind of cutting to the heart that happens. And, and here's, if we look at it, what does Peter say? Okay, so Peter is talking to all of these Jewish people. And what he knows is the Jewish people have had a longing for a Messiah king. Where we actually spent, I, I believe a year ago, if you were here, we spent a whole message talking about the longing that all of the Jewish people had throughout all of history for this king to come, right? There was a, a king in Israel named David. And David had this really unique relationship with God. And, and David had this thing that happened to him where God made him a promise, a solemn promise, a solemn oath. God only made this promise with like five other people. And all the, God only made a promise with like five other people in all of history. And he made one of these promises with David, and this promise, this covenant that he made with David, said that he's going to establish David's kingdom forever. There's a book called Chronicles. There's another book called Second Chronicles. And in that Second Chronicles chapter seven, Jesus—and by Jesus, I mean God the Father or whatever—makes a covenant. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. Chronicles book. Thanks, David. That was, I need you always around me, man. You made me believe it, too. Second Chronicle 7, God makes a promise to David. He says that I will establish your kingdom forever, that there will be a king, an offspring after you, a descendant who will reign for eternity. I'll be a father to this offspring. He'll be to me a son. I'll discipline this offspring, but I'm never going to take away my Hesed love, my steadfast Love, an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting dominion. And what you see in all of the art and all of the poetry of Israel is this longing for this everlasting king, this longing for this just and right king who will reign. And so if you look at Psalms, right, there's all of these different longings of the heart for this king who will come and be the king after David. Will be the, the, the and this is what it says in Psalm seventy two. There's so many different places where it's in the Psalms. But it says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to your royal son. Continues, May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. The reality is, is this longing for this Davidic king to come was not only longing for a king that would establish a a society, but it's it's a longing for social justice and moral transformation of societies, that when there's a good king, that all people will be on equal ground, that life will actually be as it should be, that it will be God's king. Isaiah, a prophet of Israel, says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Literally thinking that Jesse, who was David's father, by the way, it's a stump right now, but there's gonna come up an offspring and a little shoot is going to come from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And if you read the biographies of Jesus, the four Gospels, what you see in all of the Jewish people is they are longing for this Messiah King. They're longing for that person who will establish a kingdom. What Peter says next is, "By the way, Jesus is the Messiah King. Even David says so. He Says Jesus is the Messiah King. He first says this. By the way, you're, you're all witnesses to this that Jesus is the Messiah King, right? So it's all of it's probably about 150,000 different Jewish people who are gathered in Jerusalem at that time." And they were all alive when Jesus was around. Many of them heard stories of Jesus. They were all throughout the world. So not all of them obviously met him or saw him. But many of them did. And they're all witnesses to kind of the lore of who Jesus is. That Jesus worked all these miracles, right? If someone literally walks on water, people in that town start talking about him. Right? If someone creates wine out of water at a party, that's the person you want at your next party. Like that's the person that you want to talk with. And there's, there's lore of Jesus. People know that Jesus is a miracle worker, right? Josephus is a Jewish historian. What time was Josephus around? Audrey? Zach? Let's say the second century. I think it was like 100 years after, 100 years after Jesus. He's this Jewish historian. And the thing that he says about Jesus that all the Jewish people knew is that he was a miracle worker. That is what Jewish people knew. And, and so what Peter is saying is, you, you guys know this. You're actually witnesses. There was something different about Jesus. There was something that was happening with him. He was this miracle worker in your midst. And by the way, the most significant miracle is you actually witnessed his resurrection. It says that Jesus rose from the dead after he died on the cross. And in rising from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people. And so people knew something was different about Jesus because if someone dies and rises again, that's weird. Something's happening. And people in that crowd who Peter was talking to saw Jesus after he rose from the dead and that weirded them out. Or they talked to someone who saw Jesus rise from the dead and that intrigued them. Or they talked to someone who talked to someone who talked to someone who saw Jesus rise from the dead and they didn't know what to believe. And so Peter's saying, no, 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 guys, first of all, you know Jesus is the Messiah King because you've seen and you've literally witnessed him do some crazy stuff. But not only in this historical reality, but let me tell you, it's a witness of the scriptures. David himself, who's the one who you're waiting for, the promise of his seed, he prophesied about this. He actually knew that his kingdom was not the one to be longed for, but it was the kingdom that God promised him in 2 Chronicles 7, right? If you just stick with me here, that first Psalm, if you even have a Bible with you, that, that Peter quotes is a Psalm that David himself says, that he says, you will not let your son ab- be abandoned to Hades, right? You will not let your son go down to Sheol, the place of the dead, but, but you will actually, uh, what, what is it? What is it? I forgot my Bible. Friends. Yes, you will not let the Holy One see corruption. Keep going, Joel. So he's saying, okay, David wasn't just speaking about himself there. Why do we know that? Because we know where David's tomb is. David did see corruption. David did actually go down to Hades. What he was doing was he was a prophet. And he was speaking about the king who was to come after him. He was speaking that the king who was to come after him would be resurrected. Not only that, but we know the king that was to come after him, David wrote in Psalm 110, Would be seated at the right hand of God, bestowing blessing. And what we see now in the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon all people is that Jesus is the king with all authority and power at the right hand of God, sending his Holy Spirit. By the way, you're witnesses to that too. You guys, literally, he's talking to this crowd of thousands of people. It's like, you guys just saw us all speak different languages that we can't speak. You guys literally just saw something crazy happen. You're witnesses to the Holy Spirit. What he says is you all are witnesses to the historical reality that Jesus did some weird stuff. You all are witnesses to the reality of the scriptures which prophesied that this was about Jesus. And you all are witnesses to the reality that Jesus now sent his Holy Spirit among us. And what does this show? Is that Jesus is the Messiah King that you were longing for. You were longing for the Messiah King, and Jesus is the Messiah King. He was here, the one you were longing for, and when you finally got him, what did you do? You killed him. You killed Jesus. You killed the king. That's the stab in the heart right there. You really had the Messiah. You didn't recognize him, so you killed him. If you're in that crowd, what do you thinking? oh, shoot, crap. Oh, like, is there going to be another Messiah to come? Like, oh, is there a do-over? You're right, he really is the Messiah. You're right, I see that in the scriptures. I see that in what I've seen with my own eyes. I see that in the Holy Spirit. He really is the Messiah. I've really longed for the Messiah. I really killed him. So that's why they're cut to the heart. And they say, brothers, what do we do? By the way, they're speaking to 120 men and women. And so in this case, it's brothers and sisters. What do we do to be saved? How much fear do you have that if they're hearing that for the first time, that Peter is preaching this message and that they're going to ask, what do we do to be saved? And he's like, I'm not here to tell you what to do to be saved. I'm here to tell you that the Messiah came and you missed him. And not only that, you killed him. Shoot for, you. shoot for you. But that's not what Peter says. Is it? This is the radical message that we proclaim. Is that what Peter started with is this was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan all along. God raised him from the dead. This Jesus, whom you've Crucified. And now repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. What do we do now? We who kill Jesus. What do we do now? We who killed the one we want for. Repent, be baptized. And in doing so, you'll be forgiven. And you'll be given the Holy Spirit. I love how. One pastor puts it, essentially what he says, that the father is saying, you've killed my only son, Jesus. You're guilty. I forgive you. Here, take my best present. Have you ever heard of a judge who says, yes, I know you're guilty, but I forgive you. But can you imagine a judge whose son was murdered saying, I know you're guilty but I forgive you. Can you imagine a judge whose son was murdered saying, I know you're guilty, but I forgive you, and I want to give you a gift. Now imagine with me that there's a judge whose son was murdered who says, here's my gift. have my daughter's hand. That's actually what God is saying here. He wants to forgive us and give us a gift, the gift of his Holy Spirit, another family member, if you will. The radical good news of repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about past, present, and future. Hear that for the forgiveness of your sins, all that you've done against God will be wiped clean. You who killed Jesus, that's forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far those sins are removed from you. But not only that, you're also given the Holy Spirit, the reality of God inside of you now, that you're adopted as a son or as a daughter. And that you have a glorious future. Your sins are forgiven, but you're given a completely new future. That the Holy Spirit is your deposit. The check that you have, that one day you'll cash in the bank. That one day you'll have a new and glorious body. where you'll be with Jesus forever. That one who you killed, you'll be with forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Why are they cut to the heart? Well, it's because that message cuts us to the heart, and it's because the Holy Spirit really was present, right? Jesus preached a lot of really convicting messages. Have you recognized that? Have you ever read Jesus' words and been like, "Oh, shoot!" <laughs> right? If you if you have a hard time feeling that time when you've been cut to the heart, just read the Gospel of Luke, <laughs> and you'll be cut to the heart. But the reality is, the first people who heard Jesus weren't often cut to the heart. Oftentimes, they actually walked away sad. They didn't want to follow him. And all of a sudden now, 3,000 people are cut to the heart. And they repent, and they're baptized. Why? Because the Holy Spirit really has... Um, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said in John sixteen eight, when He comes, He will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So often, when we have that surgeon incision in our hearts, it's the Holy Spirit revealing where we actually have nailed Jesus to the cross with our sin. It's not there. It's a surgeon incision. It's it's not there to pollute us. It's there to remove the wound that's inside of us and to wrap us back up into healing. But when you're cut to the heart, know that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is the one, when we proclaim a simple message, that you killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit is the one who's present to convict us. Okay, so... What do we do? How do we be witnesses? I told you guys I'm going to talk for a while on number two. I'm talking for a while on number two. <laughs> is we also proclaim this simple message? We proclaim you killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead. Have you ever, by the way, seen the Knowing God Personally booklet that we use, the four spiritual laws? What is it? It's essentially this God's always had a plan, He always loved you. You really killed Jesus, God really raised him from the dead. Gave him a new way for you to have a relationship, and so you need to make a decision to follow him. And that's the first thing that Peter is saying here, is that God's had a plan, definite plan, foreknowledge of God of all time, that you really killed Jesus, but that God raised him from the dead, providing a way for us to have a relationship with him, and now you need to repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's the simple message that we proclaim But when we proclaim this simple message, we are doing it as witnesses, right? We're witnesses to Jesus and his work. We're witnesses to the scriptures, and we're witnesses to the Holy Spirit. You guys with me on those three things? Because it's so important to recognize we actually are witnesses ourselves. We're witnesses to the historical reality of Jesus. Okay, has anyone here seen the man from Galilee, Jesus walking around in the flesh? Okay, that's my thought you had, I was going to talk with you about some things <laughs> afterwards. But Jesus is ascended to the right hand of God. He'll be coming back. We haven't actually seen in the same way that he was on earth. You know, it's not anyways. But what we have seen is a lot of reliable accounts in books written about him and a lot of historical documents that evidence that Jesus really was around and he really did what he said he did. And what we rest on is these accounts and these first primary witnesses before us. If we don't think they're historically accurate or historically reliable, we lose all of our faith. We don't believe in a philosophy. We believe in a historical event, that Jesus died and rose again. If that's not true, then we don't believe in anything. And so we're witnesses to the historical reliability of Jesus' past work on the cross and in his resurrection. Amen? And so, by the way, look into that if you're not sure about it. Look into it. Because we're witnesses to that. Not primary witnesses, but we do our historical work to see that. But not only that, we're also witnesses to the scriptures. Someone give me a Bible. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're witnesses to the scriptures. In the same way that Peter looked and he saw... Wait, David actually said this in Psalm 110. Jesus! Jesus! Right? I don't know if you ever read the Old Testament, and it's like, oh, it says, okay, here, Deuteronomy 18, a prophet like Moses, Jesus, that's Jesus, right? I don't know if you're looking like Isaiah 53, that, uh, you know, that he'll be bruised for our transgressions, he'll be crushed for our sins. The punishment of us will be upon him. It's like you're reading Ephesians 2, Paul talking about Jesus, right? We look at the scriptures, we see they prophetically speak to Jesus, and we are witnesses that the scriptures are true, and that Jesus really fulfilled all of these hopes. So those are the two things we're witnesses with. you with me? Third thing we're witnesses to is the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is what we're primary eyewitnesses to. Right, Cassie shared her story. Michael shared his story. Ben shared his story just the last time we gathered together at Cornerstone Chicago, and what did they share? They shared about the Spirit's transformation work in their hearts, that they realized what the cross and resurrection meant in their lives, and their lives were changed. Who did that work? It's the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit's work in our own hearts. Cornerstone UIC doesn't make sense unless there's a living Spirit of God. And so we bear witness to the fact that the Holy Spirit is present with us now. And just like the other people saw the Spirit descend upon them at Pentecost, we see the Spirit present with us now. And we bear witness that Jesus is alive. And that this is true. And so when I share the gospel with people, I I shared this story with you. Okay, Hyungu. He was a visiting uh, grad. He was a really, he already had his doctorate, really smart dude at the University of Chicago. Always intimidated him. But I studied the Bible with him for a while. I just shared this story. And we studied the Bible two times a week. And finally, after studying the Bible, he was so hungry he was so hungry for God that he asked me, Nate, why are you a Christian? And do you remember what I said? I said, well, you know, it's because I've actually read these books a lot, I've read the Bible, and I, I really feel like it's, it's true. I feel like Jesus is who he said he is. I trust that he actually really did die. I trust that the way to make sense of his resurrection is that he really rose from the dead. And what I also know is that the story of Jesus is the only story that can make sense of how broken and messed up I feel in my own heart and how broken and messed up this world is. I feel like I know I need to be, I need to be healed of this stuff that's happening inside of me. And, and I, th- I think that Jesus, who is true, is the only one who actually offers me that kind of healing. And hyun responded to that good answer. You want to know why he said good answer? Because the Holy Spirit was working in him. And I didn't, that was not an impressive answer. That was not a like, stand up and Nate's going to blow your mind with a new teaching answer. That was the simple proclamation of the witness to Jesus. And the witness to the Holy Spirit's work in my heart. And to say, I killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead. He's the only one who can heal me. And he knew through the Spirit inside of him that that was true. When we simply proclaim the simple message of Jesus, it changes hearts and lives. And what he came to say next to me, remember, when I told the story? He says, Nate, how can I become a Christian? He literally said, what must I do to be saved? Have you ever had that experience? It's the best, by the way, sharing the gospel when someone actually literally tells you, what must I do to be saved? And that finally leads us to point number three. You guys ready for point number three? When we proclaim the simple message, is we also call people to respond. Peter made the most common evangelistic mistake, the most common witness mistake that we ever make, And it's okay, because it was the first Christian witness, so he was able to make a lot of mistakes. And it got covered up. But he didn't invite people to respond. When we share the simple message of Jesus, people's hearts are stirred or people's hearts are hardened. And we must invite them to respond to this message because it's, the message we proclaim is not a static message that we just teach to people. It's a living gospel that transforms. It's a seed that takes root and grows something. Something always happens when we proclaim the witness. And we need to call people to be that good soil. That responds. Not everyone will respond the way these three thousand people did, right? And five chapters later, Stephen preaches a much more beautiful sermon. It's a beautiful sermon. And instead of three thousand people saying, "Find me the water, I'm in," many hundreds of people actually say, "Find me the rock, I'm going to throw it at your face." <laughs> Sorry, that was so funny. <laughs> really not funny. <laughs> but it's it's been a long day guys (laughs) the Puritans put it this way the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay the reality is is that people can be hardened or people can be open to it but we must invite people to respond and here's what I found most often is that we're far more surprised when people actually say yes to Jesus than when people say no and I'm kind of like wait didn't you say yes to Jesus Why are you surprised, right? Like, isn't this the thing that changed your life? Aren't you so happy because you have Jesus? Why are you surprised they are too? And we don't share the gospel because we're afraid we'll be rejected. Of course we're going to be rejected. We know that's going to happen. But you know what else is going to happen? People are going to say yes. And so we share the gospel in expectancy that we will see people cut to the heart. Because what do people live for at UIC? What's the hope that people have? What's the hope that you had before you started following Jesus? Does it even compare? When we actually proclaim this simple message, it gives a hope greater than anything this world can offer. That leads us to number four. What we see about being a Christian witness is that we go in the public spaces, we proclaim a simple message, we call people to respond, but we also form a community. I love this, by the way. Peter goes in the public space, but when he goes and he preaches, after he's done with preaching, then the 120 people who are also in the public community start talking, right? The reason why they're asking collectively, brothers, what must we do to be saved? And I just imagine that moment, and it's like the 120 are like, hey, hey, Peter, we're all getting the same question. You want to address this from up front again? And that's where he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what you do. Repent, be baptized, forgive us of your sins, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But... He also continues to teach them all these other things. Sometimes I wish that Luke wouldn't tell me that because I'm like, I just want to know what were those things that he taught them. Tell me more, Luke. But he doesn't tell me more. The only thing he does tell me is that Luke is that Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I don't know about you, but that one also doesn't strike me as like, that's my next sermon right there. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. It's like that's not the one that initially gets me really excited. Also, especially when he just talked about God saving us by his grace completely. So what Peter's saying here is not save yourselves. Clearly, he's saying you killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. The only hope you have is for God to save you. You've got nothing. You can to that from nothing to a solution. What, what he's saying is what's now being inaugurated is that there's a new kingdom that exists that's different from this generation that is broken and corrupt and evil. That you now can be saved into a generation and a people that are not crooked in of the world. That there's a new kingdom that's come that you can belong to that's different than the old kingdom of this world. What he's saying is that this gospel that we preach, when we respond to it, we ontologically be, are transformed into a new community that we live into. And what we see is what we'll actually talk about in two weeks. That then they began to live together, these 3,000 who were baptized began to live in this new community separate actually from this crooked generation though intentionally present in the public spaces with the people of this generation. So brothers and sisters you truly are in an epic where Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God and he is empowering you through his Holy Spirit to be a witness and your call is to be in public spaces. Your call is To proclaim a simple message. And your call is. Who's got it? Who's got it? I just said it. Okay. Don't discourage me. You call people to respond. Amen. The call. And your call is to form a community with it. So let me pray. Let me pray for us. Oh God. We're not just. Hearing this to hear it. We're hearing it to obey. We don't want to be those who hear the word, think we're okay, and move on and continue on with our day and deceive ourselves, not actually obeying what it says. God, you've actually called each of us to be a witness to you, to be a witness to what you have done. And so, Father, I pray for a deeper empowerment by your Holy Spirit for every one of my beloved brothers and sisters here to truly be a witness, to truly proclaim the simple message of the gospel, to truly be present in public spaces, to truly invite people to respond. And I pray for many stories, even in this next week, even in this day in the next few days, story of people like Hyungu who heard the gospel and believed and had joy. Oh God, would we see great joy, would we see people being cut to the heart and rejoicing that you gave us the gift of your Holy Spirit. So God, empower us to be your witnesses. Empower us to go to new places. Empower us to trust you in new ways. So that your kingdom would come. Come, Holy Spirit, this is your work. Let's just take two minutes and just turn to the person next to you. And um, just lay your hand on them and pray for them. Pray that they really would be a witness to Jesus. Pray that they would be faithful in their call to be a witness to the cross and resurrection of Jesus.